I'll hold for your sound. Thank you. Because I can hear the. Uh, yeah. Sounds like can a hear fire the chaos truck. of the city. Yeah. Yeah, we've actually been pretty uh, quiet lately too. So, wow, it's coming close. I was gonna say I could. It sounds like it's coming back. Actually, Lauren, are you on fire? I'm not on fire. I mean, I'm hot, but that's I'm not right. on fire. <laughs> beep beep. <laughs> beep say. beep indeed. Bad girls, oh bad girls. Beep beep. Dun, 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 beep beep. Ready graphics. Ready theme. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Frank's neurotic and actually has no game. You're very attractive, and I'm sure you've had a long and distinguished career. Slinky Mike Wallace. Ha ha. The girls, they were actually better than they were bad. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season two, episode 19, Bad Girls, part two. So uh, Murphy feels that Corky needs to work on her character, and she asks her to walk across the room, which I believe is the walk that Faith herself has referenced um, is why she was called Swamp Thing. <laughs> I mean, she's obviously exaggerating it. Sort of, she's like, everything is out. And it, it made me laugh because it's it's adorable and it's funny, but also like, how did she win Miss America if <laughs> she walks like a duck? I was like, Corky's a pageant girl. She knows how to walk in heels. But I attributed this to... So I was like, girl knows how to walk in heels, but not like this. Also, she's being instructed to be sexy. And so... I mean, it's the same thing where like the second someone tells me to be funny, I lose yeah. any words. So Mur Murphy calls her olive oil and anklets. <laughs> uh, Corky wants to see, you know, what Murphy's idea of seduction is. Candace does this amazing... I will try to put the clip oh. on the website of just like slinky arms back which by the way her back is like almost completely bare walking yep. turning her head flinging her purse over her shoulder it's hilarious slinky mike wallace slinky mike wallace it's just <laughs> terrible <laughs> elton emerges and he agrees that it is pretty horrible he says that a man would have to be in prison a long time to find that sexy <laughs> True. He is, he's pretty much appalled at the way that they're dressed. Eldon's right. Eldon is often very right. This is why I find Eldon's arc so interesting because they, it took them a while to realize that he was, oh, he's pretty woke, but he yep. starts out as be, saying a lot of misogynistic stuff. And that's why I think we were so like startled because we we're so used to this Eldon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he wants to know what's going on, you know, why they're dressed like, why they're dressing that way for work. And Murphy says that uh, he did such a great job staining the shelves in the library. We thought you deserved a treat. <laughs> Eldon is most particularly livid for Corky. You know, th this, this. This, she's pure and innocent. And it, it rips him apart to see her defiled in this way. Yet he is oddly aroused. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which does not make Corky very happy. No. no. Which is funny coming off of the uh, the episode we just saw recently of her being upset that he wasn't flirting with her anymore. Yeah, she just wants attention. <laughs> she likes to be considered yeah. a pretty thing. And she wants to be able to say no to it. Corky grabs this sort of light purple fur and then Murphy has to remind Corky to walk sexy, which now is she's just doing it the opposite instead of everything <laughs> being forward, everything is back. She like bends her knees and then like pulls her pelvis behind them. The two of them in this epi in this scene particularly are a really great piece of um, uh, physical comedy, I have to say. Yes. And uh, and then we go to we are at the the nondescript uh, reporting truck, <laughs> and Frank is telling Carl 
Sweet Carl, to get some establishing footage of the front of the hotel for the start of the segment. Here's one of my least favorite jokes. Carl knocks them all over going past them in the cramped truck. Yeah. And Frank says, brilliant, Miles. You could have gotten Vito, who weighs maybe 135 pounds, but no, you had to get a guy who was once banned from the Sizzler. I'm just not team fat jokes, uh, especially against sweet Carl. Yeah, but this is a very sort of standard joke for this time period, yeah, I have to say. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but like you can make the joke with just having too many people in a cramped truck. That's true. Um, unlike the things about like Murphy being old, but actually looking stunning. So it's it doesn't support this idea that you go to pasture at a certain point. It's a this man is a plus sized human and we're making a joke about the fact that he's a plus sized human. So Carl makes his way to the uh, the hidden camera that's pointed out the back of the truck. And we are, whoa, mama, get a look at these two babes. At that moment, Miles and Frank are climbing over each other behind Carl to try and see the monitor. And he says, one walks like she's pulling a plow. The other, yow. Wait a second. They're coming this way. I don't believe it. Y'all, the babes are, you guessed it, Murphy and Corky. Now, if you know the history of Carl, you know which one is the one who yow and which yeah. one looks like she's pulling he a plow. Murphy. He loves Murphy so very much. And she appears in her black and white coat, which is not quite cow print, but it's reminiscent of a cow print. Okay. Very much so. And she says, don't just stand there, Frank. Help me. And Frank is shocked by these transformations. And he says, holy moly, he never would have recognized Murphy. And then he turns to Corky. And says, whoa, and who's your little friend? And he does the really gross thing of like pinching her coat and opening it to look at her body, which made me shudder because I've been in bars and places with men who are like that. Now, luckily, we love Frank and we know Frank is teasing Corky, but this action is so gross. And the reason why it works is because Corky, Mashiro, screams, shut up, Frank, and hits him very hard in his peck. And she says, I've got Mace in my purse and I'm not afraid to and use it. And I feel it. like we know that, that Frank is doing it to like to just mess with her like a little sister. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why it works. Because if we didn't love Frank, if we didn't know that he knows it's quirky and he's doing it to mess with his little sister type relationship, it would be so gross. But that's why it works. I mean, we know that Frank is neurotic and actually has no game. So I do believe that Frank is only able to pull off this kind of lecherous swagger when he knows that. He's not actually flirting. Yeah, he knows he's, he's like, just kidding. Yeah. Frank has no game. He's a neurotic mess. And so here's the thing I just want to share. So when we saw Carl at the beginning of the segment, I kept writing Carl? Question mark Because I was like, I my brain tells me it's Carl. But am I being like, am I just assuming this person who's a similar stature and in a similar role is Carl? The moment I knew I was right that it was Carl was when Carl now turns to Murphy <laughs> and says in his deeply devoted voice, Murphy, I didn't think it was possible for a woman to look better than you normally do. But right now I'd sell my soul for five minutes with you. And the difference between the way Eldon says it to Corky and the way Carl says this to Murphy is like, it's slight because Eldon also is very sweet and not and truly infatuated. But Carl loves her so deeply. <laughs> yeah. It lacks any leer to his voice. Like he's just so She's devoted his dream to Murphy. It's so sweet. And she clearly doesn't feel threatened by it. Yeah. Just like how Corky was not actually threatened by Eldon. Like, that's something I just want to highlight is like, the reason why some of these jokes work is because these women are clearly not threatened or feel unsafe. Yeah. Miles at this moment says, well, this, look, now look, Murphy, this isn't so bad. And you were worried you'd look like a cheap tart. Which I do have to say, tart is one of my favorite words when it comes to like, you look like a tart. Like, there's something so like, 
of a time about that that term. Even though if someone called me a tart, I'd be very upset about it. But I love it as a word. It's funny that you say that because one of my my favorite non-sorking things that CJ ever said was, I like to tart it up for a funeral. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, exactly. I love that and, line. Okay. And to that point, like in the same thing where it's like, if a sex worker, uh, you know, jokingly refers to herself as a whore, that is different than you getting to call her one. Yeah. Uh, very similarly, you know, there are there are words that I have reclaimed in my my fun time swear jar that were originally used to diminish women that I don't mind using because someone isn't calling me that I have reclaimed it as something that you don't get to diminish me with, um, which is a woman referring to herself jokingly in that yeah. way uh, versus someone else telling her she tarted it up. Exactly. There is a difference. Yeah. And so Murphy just gives him a look and says says that she has something for Miles that they have something for Miles and says give it to him Corky here you go Miles while we were shopping for our outfits we saw this and thought of you and then the bag opens and out comes a stereotypical pimp hat with a very long feather and a coat and Miles starts laughing winningly and he says oh that's very funny Murph says try it on Miles he says, no. She says, one good humiliation deserves another. Try it on or we're not going out there. And what I, this is what I think, like, the proximity in the van is so great because, like, there's no getting out. He's flanked. Mm -hmm. And he allows them to put it on him. Like, he just stands there as they dress him and, again, looks very, very much in pain. And Frank says a, says a line, which is, nice look, Miles, the first Hasidic pimp. <laughs> As Murphy is on her way out, or be preparing to be on her way out, she says, make sure he wears it, Frank, all night, even when driving home. Uh, Miles does look wonderful in this outfit. <laughs> He's kind of swimming just, in it a bit, which just makes it even Oh, funnier. yeah. He looks so small. He just continues yeah. to look so small. So Miles gets everyone back on schedule. He tells Wally to wire them up. So, sound guy. Gives the keys to their individual hotel rooms. Wally wants to know where on these very tight, small outfits he's supposed to put these mics. He has a couple ideas. And oh. Carl, our hero, on the other side of the van, shoves forward to defend Murphy's honor. And what I love is Murphy tells him it's okay. Like, I just, like, bless yeah. Carl. And, like, he is just, like, ready to shove everyone aside to beat this pipsqueak down yeah. for even insisting that he would manhandle Murphy. Without her consent. Yeah. Although this is not my favorite episode, what what makes it stand out is the fact that every time a certain point of view is mentioned, mm -hmm. someone speaks against it. Yes, or they stick they stick up for somebody. What I like is Murphy's able to to assert that she doesn't need his defense, yeah. but I do appreciate just the purity of Carl. One, he's not judging her for her outfit, but he is against anyone judging her for her outfit mm -hmm. because she is perfect. Uh, so Frank lets them know they need to connect with Rita. She's their contact inside. and after, But after that, they'll be on their own. And at this moment, Jim arrives in a full trench coat and fedora, looking like a film noir reporter. Mm -hmm. I wrote, yow, indeed. <laughs> Charlie looks great. He enters saying, it smells like a locker room. And oh, look at the two of them. Look at you. Just look at you. <laughs> She's trying to be such a gentleman. Jim is. Jim has found the kryptonite for his composure. Um, and Murphy tells him to snap out of it. He says, sorry. And then he turns. And we just have this nonverbal moment of him seeing Miles and just shuddering 
as Miles just looks at him sadly in his outfit. So, so it's, it's, he's fighting against the fact that it's so against everything that he believes in. But, you know, but also, uh, he finds it sexy. <laughs> Jim has a kink, and I like I, I I support this journey for him. Uh, Frank says, "This is it. Are they ready?" And Corky says, "Yeah, we can handle some middle-aged bimbos and party hats." And Murphy has to say, "Corky, we're the bimbos." Well, then what are they? The Johns. And Corky, Faith, this is great. Bimbos, Johns, bimbos. John's like clearly like trying to prep herself with her homework. Yeah. And you can tell from Murphy that they've gone over this so many times, many times on the way there. So many times. Uh, so they head out and we cut to the hotel room, which I was like, this feels like the same set that they used for like Corky's New Year's Eve party slash when Murphy was locked up slash like, yeah, it feels like the same set just just gussied up a little bit. Just redress. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, which welcome to film, y'all. So yeah, and this is like a suite. It's much, oh, yeah. it's much bigger than the other rooms that we're gonna. Yes, this is definitely the mm. like the lounging suite. Uh, it's much more of a like living room aesthetic. Uh, so they arrive, and Corky just whines. Look at these men. None of them are wearing natural fibers. <laughs> Murphy tells her to relax, which I I do have to also say. Uh, Commenting on not wearing natural fibers in the 80s and early 90s is quite hysterical to me because everything is polyester. I know, right? <laughs> everything. Murphy tells her to relax and to stay focused on the story. A woman in a very sensible suit approaches and says, I don't know you, or do I? And Murphy does the most. If you if this wasn't Rita, you would assume somebody was undercover because Murphy goes, the soup is cold. And the woman, Rita, returns, the pot is hot. It's such a parody of, of spy movies. Yes. And this is when I squealed to myself, Aunt Zelda, because we have the beautiful Beth Broderick. The gorgeous, hilarious Beth Broderick. Who I know best as Aunt Zelda Spellman in Sabrina the Teenage Witch in the 90s. Something that I didn't know about Beth. Now, I always think of Beth, obviously, from Sabrina. I mean, that is the biggest thing that most of us our age would know that she's done. But she is hilariously funny. She was in this short-lived show called Hearts of Fire, which I think was on, like, after Designing Women. So it was like a Monday thing because it was another show by Linda Bloodworth Thomason with John Ritter and um, Marky Post from Night Court. Mm -hmm. But something that I didn't know when I looked her up to talk about her is that she actually started in adult films, mm -hmm. which is really interesting, I think, from a couple of different aspects. One, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But considering that this was the early 80s, you don't hear a lot of stories of women, at least who tell the truth, she did have a couple of different names, one very close to her real name, which was Elizabeth Alice Broderick, mm. obviously Beth Broderick, very close, and then Norris O'Neill. But she was in two adult films, which helped her get into a mainstream comedy, as they would call it, as Norris O'Neill, called Sex Appeal in 1986, and then sort of parlay that into having a mainstream career. And I thought it was interesting because of the topics we're talking about today and just how back then you were really sort of pigeonholed, particularly for women, in the same way that I think people would look at at that time period, sex workers, mm -hmm. that this was a bad thing, that it was shameful. I thought it was really great that she was able to transition into that without a stigma. Mm -hmm. Maybe at the time, but you would think if there was a stigma, they wouldn't hire her. Yeah. There are people like uh, Tracy Lords, obviously, mm -hmm. did do mainstream comedy, mm -hmm. but it was a v very specific roles that she played if it wasn't in a John Waters comedy. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of times you would assume that like, okay, you could transition, but you're only going to play a certain type. Exactly. And yet she was in a television show for children Mm -hmm. and no one batted an eye. And I thought that was really great. And she didn't play hypersexual. No. Zelda's not hypersexual. Something else I just want to say for people, if you're like, oh, I kind of remember. She also had a recurring role for a while on Lost. Yes. uh, But I also really love her in uh, one of my favorite just obscure references, which is Psycho Beach Party. Let's talk about someone who we love to talk about these women who get to age in in their careers and don't just get get put on a shelf somewhere. Beth looks better than ever. Oh, she looks fantastic. Oh, she looks so beautiful. She still works, which is great. I think she's delightful. I enjoy her work. She's very funny. She's perfect for this kind of show. After we have this clandestine meeting, Murphy introduces herself as Rita. Rita introduces herself as Rita. And Corky introduces herself as Mary, Mary Alice Williams. Now, if you're thinking this is her sex worker name, it's not. Corky won't even go by Corky in her speaking to their undercover source. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretending she's another reporter. Yes. Rita looks at them and says, nice outfits. I see Frank lent you his Fredericks of Hollywood catalog. Corky says, this is a nightmare. They're the tackiest women there. Rita says not to worry about it. Once these out of town guys get off the leash, they'll go after anything. Which is uh, supported by when a man walks up and asks to be introduced introduced to Rita's two friends. His name is Barney. Uh, Murphy suddenly develops an accent and introduce, introduces herself as Wanda. Can I talk about this accent for a second? Please do. Okay, I didn't know it was supposed to be a New York accent until I was an adult. <laughs> I remember as a kid watching this going, what is she doing? Wanda. I don't understand what this accent is. And then for some reason watching it like as an adult, not even just now, but I've, <laughs> I've obviously seen it since I was 16, going, oh, <laughs> she's trying to do a New York accent. It's not working. <laughs> and what I, No, listen, it might be on purpose, though. Yeah, I think it's intentionally it's bad. <laughs> because she does a great <laughs> French accent. Exactly. I'm surprised she didn't make her French. I mean, obviously, married to a Frenchman, yeah. her French accent is fantastic. Um... But yeah, I, I didn't know what she was doing for years. I assume because we, one, we know that Candace can do accents. And two, because Murphy is not the investigative reporter, but is instead a herself nailing people to the wall reporter, that we're intentionally seeing Murphy not be good at this. Oh, you know what I just realized? Candace was in a movie where she played a, I don't know if this word is appropriate, so please correct mm-hmm. me, Jesse. A madam. Uh, yeah. It was based on a true story. I can't believe that I forgot about this. It was like a very big part of her career, actually. Um, and I forget the name of it. And I'm, you continue talking, Jesse, mm-hmm. and I will find the name of this movie. Uh, now, Corky introduces herself as Lurlane, which I wrote as like, I literally don't know because of how how thick she throws the accent on. If it's Lurlane or Lurleen. The guy she meets later says Lurleen, but I also don't know if he's sure of what it is. But it's Lurlane. Barney introduces himself and says that they're late, but from what he can see, it was worth the wait. And leers. I don't like Barney. No. This actor also, by the way, I won't go too much, but he's one of those faces from the 80s who worked all the time. Yes. You saw him in tons of comedies. Yes. So the movie was called The Mayflower Madam. I knew it was named after the hotel that she worked oh. out of. And I forgot. Yeah. I vaguely remember that name. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was it was considered like a, a real big part of her career. She got a lot of good notices in it. Mm-hmm. It was a TV movie from 1987. Mm-hmm. Continue. So Wanda says that she hasn't had any complaints yet. And Barney supportively nods and says, and it looks like you've been doing it for a few years, sweetie. 
all of the men saying sweetie and honey to them is just it's so well written because it just makes me hate them. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually we're going to get you an old hooker, an old which hook. again, quoting just the way that he says yep. it makes me laugh. So Murphy does her big mouth kind of silent laugh back at him. And as he walks away, she turns and pinches the hidden microphone in her cleavage, which is a running thing that she does and says, I'm going to find a really good way to torture you, Miles. Maybe something with glue and cat hair. Do you hear me? Then she drops and says, OK, let's go fishing. Murphy and Corky barely make it a few steps before a man named Jack swings over and introduces himself to Lurlane with a hello there. Lurlane simpers, and he says that her name really suits her. Wanda, our Murphy here, offers to leave the two of them alone, but Lurlane says she doesn't have to go, does she, Jack? Poor Jack. Jack is clearly at his first party with sex workers in his life. And he says, well, I wasn't really looking for a group thing, but hey, what the heck? And laughs. And Corky, I assume actually missing the point and not intentionally missing the point, says, well, she never does a group things with only three people and then excuses herself, leaving Murphy alone. And what I I thought that she said that on purpose. You think that she didn't know what she was saying? That feels like a joke that Murphy would make on purpose. And because it's one that I know that Murphy would make knowing what she was implying, I just assume that Corky wouldn't. But I want to believe that Corky understands the innuendo that she's making in that moment. I've just yet to see evidence that Corky makes those innuendos yet. Good point. I'm not, I want to believe that she knows. My favorite part about this is as Corky walks away, she catches that she's doing her old walk midway and then adjusts into her new sexy walk. <laughs> this is also when I actually notice that she's wearing like bobby socks in her shoes. <laughs> so Wanda says it looks like it's just the two of them. The two of them. The two of them. And God. he says, oh, well... Thanks, honey, but I was looking for something a little younger. And leaves as he puts on his glasses, to which I just want to be like, you would be so lucky. I remember as a kid, not because I was so young, you know, like 16 when I saw this and not getting the joke and going, I don't understand, but she's so pretty. Why are they doing this? (laughs) It's not fair. Uh, And as he walks away, Murphy just says, I'm crushed, pal. We cut to a little bit later and Murphy is now sitting on a couch looking despondent. Corky is the life of the party, and Murphy's making a very unenthusiastic pitch to a half-asleep man on the couch next to her about making his dreams come true. Which I love it. Let me help. Let me make your dreams come true. She can't even pretend. And he, his response is, maybe later, and he just rolls away to, like, fall asleep on the, the arm of the couch in the opposite direction, leaving her to just lean on his hip as she, <laughs> she continues her now, we have to assume, very long tirade of planned payback to Miles into her cleavage. <laughs> At this point, Corky arrives to the couch. She arrives from being the life of the party, as we've said, and she says that, you know, she realizes that she was scared when she first arrived, but then she realized that the men were too. It's just like a cotillion, except these men are expecting her to put out. So... It's exactly like a cotillion. (laughs) Well, they're going to be disappointed. And then she heads back off to be the life of the party. (laughs) She loves the attention. It's kind of adorable. It's adorable. She's very good at it. Like if Corky put her mind to it, she could infiltrate so many places. Agreed. So Murphy makes her way over to where Barney is talking to a man named Nikki. And Nikki clearly wants to talk business. But Barney keeps sidestepping because, hey, Wendy's here. Wanda. Wanda! What Nikki really needs, instead of talking business, Nikki really needs to learn how to loosen up. And Wanda's the perfect thing. Can I talk about the second 90s 
um, a cross section of of uh, 90s sitcoms that is happening. Yes. Um, other than Sabrina. Yes. Um, I've watched this episode many times, not as many as other ones, but I never knew that this gentleman who plays Nick or Nikki is Peter Mark Jacobson, who I know, and I hopefully many of you know, as one of the co-creators of The Nanny. Yep. <laughs> the Nanny. <laughs> The nanny and Sabrina. It's like, Ugh. I love this so much. It's um, such a specific part of my childhood. I'm just like, yay. Oh, my God. I, I actually wrote a letter to Fran Drescher. Love her. Because she was the only person on TV who had my hair. Yes. I was so excited. <laughs> we love to see it. Jesse can see is that I've posted all of these sort of like younger pictures in age order of Fran Drescher and Peter Mark Jacobson, who was her husband for many years, mm -hmm. particularly when they were working on the show. And if anyone knows her TV land show, Happily Divorced, yes. it is based, loosely based, because it didn't happen the way this happened in the series, on her relationship with her ex-husband, who after they divorced, came out as gay. Mm -hmm. And he was able to realize his true self. Mm -hmm. And they are as close as they ever were because they were high school sweethearts. Yeah. They've known each other forever. I think it's really sweet that they were able to come together and, you know, now be just as close as they ever were. Yep. It's they're they're just a lovely story. We love Fran. And if Fran would like to come on the show and talk about being a 90s uh, sitcom legend, we would more than happy Welcome. to have her on the show. Welcome to come here. Please come. Cancer schmancer. We will donate money to mm -hmm. her charity. So Wanda is very eager to help loosen up Nikki here, who clearly wants to talk about business. And Barney says, terrific. Go ahead. Enjoy yourself. And Murphy as Wanda says, I won't bite unless you want me to. To which Barney says, "Atta girl, and smacks her ass on the way out. Mm. And we cut to. So we cut to Corky and a man who uh, comes into hotel room. Uh, and uh, Corky is so nervous right here. And I, I'm i not sure about if I should say this. I Oh, okay. Um, but it's so different in retrospect watching this because of what I know we will find out about Corky is that she is a lily white virgin. Um, and so her nervousness and uncomfortability is sort of palpable. Here. Oh, yes. And the man mm -hmm. is just slowly getting undressed and Corky is so uncomfortable. She's actually sort of averting her eyes and she's trying to get him to talk about oil. Oh, I truly feel for her. And I also have to say, like, as a, the, the thing that this show does very well is keep the levity in a situation that could get extremely predatory and scary. Like the reality of this situation is very scary for a female. Especially, like, not only just for a, a, a female-identifying human to be in that scenario is scary, let alone someone who truly has not interacted with someone else in that way. So, like, it is a, it is a doubly scary moment, but the show handles it in such a way that it's actually very funny to watch, which, like, kudos to them because I... There are many shows that have tried to have this kind of humor and have failed. And what's going on? And she just trying on the on the tip of her tongue to try to think of things to distract him. She's very smart in this, and uh, she already has sort of a very uh, southern accent as she does. This sounds like I'm from Texas. I'm sorry. This is very Texas. I need to sound like Louisiana. You, you do sound a little tech. You know what? I'm not mad at it though. I kind of like the side of you. Well, I would say that you sound like you're from Louisiana. Well, as a dialect coach, I am happy to have just one-on-ones with you. 
I'm sorry, Faith, this is an absolutely terrible accent. Um, and lo and behold, they grew up two towns next to each other. <laughs> you have to go through, you have to make a full tour before you land in the state. Their little scream, so cute. <laughs> and is it Laura? I thought it was Abilene. Is it Abilene? I can't really hear what they're saying when they ask where they're from, but they end with, what a hoot. I think there's probably about, what, like four O's in that? Hoot? What a hoot. I just love how many syllables were in the word hoot at that moment between the two of them. And there we go. There's the music. We should know where Corky is from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, uh, you know, between the two of them, I think they each have four, so it probably has a combined eight. <laughs> You're welcome. We are the target audience. <laughs> Uh, we actually cut to uh, Murphy's hotel room. Murphy is in her hotel room. And uh, she's actually, what we see is alone in the hotel room because she's trying to get Nikki out of the bathroom. Uh, she goes for her faithful uh, Mike Pinch of the bosom and uh, says that it's perfect for sweeps month. Everyone can watch her trying to get some guy to come out of the bathroom. Nikki finally appears. Nikki is also very nervous. One of the things I really appreciate about these two scenes being juxtaposed is the difference, the four different ways that nerves are displayed. Because we find out later all of them are nervous for essentially the same reason. But they hold them in completely different ways. You have a very confident-seeming Southern man. You have a virginal Southern belle. You have Nikki, who's clearly a... Uh, He's got a bit of a nerdy gentleman thing, even though he's clearly a very, uh, I would say, hetero heteronormatively handsome man. And Murphy's nerves, as we know, come across in some very strong physical choices <laughs> as she tries to play sexy and woo someone at the same time. But I will say out of all of them, Murphy's the most consummate professional at just like focusing on the job at hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, she's trying. She's a very bad actor. It's uh, I, We've said this before, but honestly, it's probably my favorite personality quirk of hers that they chose. Because there's just something so great about seeing a good actor play a bad actor. It's actually very hard to do. Exactly. So Nikki appears from the bathroom. He apologizes. He couldn't get the wrapper off the little soap. And which, such a such a specific joke. And honestly, it made me be like, is that a dated joke now? Like, 
No, we still have soap and wrappers. Murphy uh, immediately heads right in to close ranks with his body and offers to take his tie off, uh, thinking that they should get to know each other a little better. I just wrote, Nikki is nervous. And as she's trying to get his tie, he's just backing away from her like prey. And she just keeps following, trying to get the tie off. And he wonders if maybe they could talk a little first. Uh, She could tell him about herself, make it a little more personal. At this point, Murphy has him backed into a chair and she's draped on the arm next to him. She basically just backed him into the nearest piece of furniture so he'd stop moving and then she just draped over him. Now, Wanda, as we know Murphy, thinks that that's a great idea. I mean, he's the one paying for her. Well, at least someone is. She heard something about an oil company. Which, like, well done, Murph. Well done. And he says, well, that's who's paying you, isn't it? And this was the moment when I was like, oh, I remember how this goes. <laughs> the second he asked that, I was like, oh, right. Which, I mean, kudos to them because I didn't remember the twist of this episode when we first met him. And they hit it pretty well. I really did think that he was one of the oil people who just wanted to talk business and just wasn't as smooth. And it wasn't until this moment when I went, oh, I know what's about to happen. So kudos. They actually got me. The great thing about this reveals, I think that there are there are two big opportunities to feel like you are clever. I think, honestly, if you get it on the first time you meet him, you are actually incredibly clever. If you get it on this one, you're like, oh, I got it. Yes, I got it. I figured it out. That's why he's so nervous. The th- second one, which is still what I think is great writing, great performing, that makes the audience feel like they had a gotcha, is that we see all of them realize it before they say it in the truck. You know, like you have that moment when you catch up faster than one of the characters does and they give you that moment in the performance. And we'll get to that in a minute. But (laughs) Wanda does a great, oh, well, who pays attention? You know, Wanda just shows up and does what she does. And at that moment, she's pulling him up to standing and she says, now, Nick, tell me all about your last big deal. Every detail. And at this point, she's laying herself back onto the bed, forcing him to essentially straddle her. And she says, she just finds those things such a big toyin' on. (laughs) I had to write out the toyin' on. So at this moment, uh, we cut back to the truck. Jim is distressed. And he chimes in that Murphy is going about this all wrong. She's too aggressive. Men don't like that. They want to feel comfortable. They want to feel in charge. So if they choose to get up in the middle of things and go watch an old Olivia de Havilland movie and collect their thoughts, they shouldn't be the topic of conversation at the weekly bridge game. I think I think Jim has some major anxiety. I also love that Jim's Jim's safe places at Olivia de Havilland movie because of course it is. And wonder and also Doris, we love you, but Doris, the weekly bridge game. She sure is. Mm-hmm. You know what? Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe maybe sometimes Jim is overwhelmed with an imposter syndrome. Maybe, you know, maybe sometimes Doris is so much woman that Jim has to reconcile, even after all these years. The spelunking into Jim's sexual word world. I will... I do love the word spelunking. I believe I learned it as a child watching, 
I believe it's the third Ninja Turtles live action movie when Mikey says he's going spelunking for pork rinds. And I was a child and I was like, that is the greatest word I've ever heard. And then later I learned what it was. And now it's my favorite metaphor. But we're learning so much about Jim and this anxiety around a certain form of sexuality or sexual uh, discovery that it just feels like a gift. And I, I feel like now that I'm in my mid-30s and I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, there's so much nuance to what Jim is going through in this episode that I never would have gotten before. I just would have laughed that Jim was uncomfortable. But now I'm just like, I I feel like I know so much about our dear Jim. <laughs> you know, everyone's just kind of letting Jim go through his thing. And, and Frank turns to Miles and says, well, me and a pair of pumps and a black teddy and this guy would have been confessing to Lincoln's assassination. I honestly believe, I think that Frank could have done it. I, I think Frank could have done it. And at this moment, a man we find out is named Jerry shows up and apologizes for being late. Everyone's very concerned and Frank says he's not allowed in there. But at that moment, Carl recognizes said man. Apparently, Jerry thought this was the WKTZ truck. He's supposed to be working with an out-of-town crew. They're doing an undercover story at the St. James. And what is the FYI team doing here? And this is also, I think actually this is the added moment when people start realizing before anyone else realizes. And Jerry looks over at their monitors and he's very impressed by the tech that they have. And oh, wow, the monitors have really good resolution. And hey, that's a reporter he's working with. Patrick Thomas for one of the West Coast affiliates. They're supposed to be breaking an oil story. And what's he doing with a hooker? An old hooker. And I know this isn't a word that we are talking about right now as a word yes. that we like, but obviously in context, um, hooker is just a funny word in comedy, and I totally see why they are using it. But I just love his delivery, the way he goes, a hooker, an old hooker, an old hooker. I mean, it's why, like, while I personally, when I would refer to someone in this profession, would refer to them as a sex worker, you, you can't deny that the word hooker has excellent comedic timing it's just it's a fun word i won't personally use it in my day-to-day but i get why it's such a funny word in this context (laughs) also one last thing i want to say because this is something that i didn't quite touch on before and it's something that we we are passionate about when we say that you know upon rewatching these episodes we like to hold them accountable to today's standards but we also don't want to vilify them for not being made today you know like there's there's a difference between saying like, oh, if that was done today, I would have a problem with it, and saying, how dare they not have been made today and known better? Like, there is something to uh, to nomenclature, which is that the appropriate word for something is a is a, a living, breathing convention. And so words that were that are absolutely inappropriate now, because we have grown and learned more and, and listened to the people themselves, we therefore we change our our linguistics around it. Then, you know, there were there were a lot of different uh, connotations behind the word hooker, behind the word prostitute. They were a lot of times there was one that was preferred over the other. When I say I have a problem with that word, I just want to recognize that I understand that this was made at a different time, and I don't think that the people who were writing the show were writing it to to attack sex workers. You know. I also firmly believe that nothing is off the table when it comes to comedy. It's just how you just have to know if something's taboo and you have to be aware that people have reactions. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I think it's important to in in growing in accountability that we do not erase what was before, because being able to erase history 
and erase progress is is a privilege. It's a privilege of being the people who are on a certain side of history and on a certain rung of a ladder. And a lot of times it's done to try and uh, to hide missteps. And I think what's important is being able to look back and say, oh, look what we've grown from. Before this was okay, and now we've grown in such a way that now we wouldn't use that word. And that's good to know because it allows us to to have, I think, more empathy for growth and progression. Because we are in, in 20 years, in 30 years, what whatever we are saying right now is going to look so dated and offensive. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to grow. We're going to be different. There's going to be a point when what we always thought was okay to say is no longer. We're seeing it right now in our current lives. So we return to, at this moment, Frank and Miles begin arguing over who has to tell Murphy about what's going on. And, uh, Carl, sweet Carl, just cries out in what is absolutely all caps. For God's sake, somebody go. Oh, no, I think we're going to pass out. Somebody screams clear. I think it's Frank. And everyone scatters to the sides of the small van or truck while Carl collapses into the wall. You want to get paid like a producer, Miles? You got to be a producer. So Murphy is giving Nick a massage, just trying to get info on Paragon Oil. Um, And she works her way down his back until she grabs his ass which Mm. i was which startles him and startled me because i was not expecting that much action in a murphy brown episode it was uh it was a full hand it was it was definitely a full hand i feel like there definitely had to be in rehearsal may i touch you can i do this are you cool with this yes i am it's only for comedy yeah (laughs) you know she just wants to talk about him about paragon oil and all of his bosses and he wants to talk about her about all of her information about getting paid by paragon bosses and it's like i'll answer yours as long as you answer mine and it goes on and on until finally nick just goes oh the hell with it listen lady you're very attractive and i'm sure you've had a long and distinguished career (laughs) jeez it's just fantastic again uh for all the reasons we've mentioned and uh, and he's just going to go. But Murphy, of course, grabs him and tries to pull him down by saying, you know, he'll play the wounded flyer hiding in her parents' barn. And she's the innocent peasant girl who, do- who just wants to be held. Oh, oh. Suddenly there's a knock at the door and it's Miles. And of course, Murphy's like, no, no, Murphy here. Wanda. Miles is trying to get Murphy's attention. But of course, she's Wanda. Finally... They open the door. Miles comes in and she is so pissed. She was ready to get this guy to spill his guts. And Miles had to mess it up, which, of course, is like, Murphy, you actually just gave it away. He could yeah, this could have been some anyone. You could have just made up who he was. <sighs> yeah. Your, your lover who was obsessed with you, who also works at the Land Commission. I don't know. Something, Murphy. <laughs> so she's really pissed. But, of course, Miles says he doesn't think so. Murphy, meet Patrick Thomas from ABC. What? Patrick, this is Murphy Brown. Both reporters are quite pissed. Quite pissed. He spent four months setting himself up as a Land Commissioner. That is a lot of time. And she had to stick her padded bra into it. Which, of course, this was the first time that I could hear his Queen's accent coming out. Yeah, it, it's very sudden and quite strong. He, of course, you know, leaves saying how much he hates Sweeps Month. Uh, and Miles says, you know, you just gotta laugh. Miles is super awkward about it. That Murphy does not have to laugh and she needs to poke him many times with a pointy stick. Then Corky shows up with Ed. He told her everything. They're getting on like a house on fire miles is super excited uh except ed is also a reporter um from the baton rouge herald and he goes you just have to laugh don't you 
<laughs> and Miles is, is, does not agree. He does not agree that you don't you don't need to laugh. Um, so they're going to go out for coffee, you know, and chat and get to know each other. Miles is convinced that Nazis invented Sweeps Month. Now, this reminds me of an Eddie Izzard joke. Oh, yeah. For those who don't know, is uh, Eddie Izzard, one of my heroes, is also dyslexic. Um, and she says in one of her early acts that uh, the word dyslexia was invented by Nazis to piss off kids with dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> because we can't spell it. He just assumes you know that. So uh, Frank shows up. Uh, apparently, the truck got rear-ended by a WBZA news truck. And the entire block is all sound trucks. Uh. No one in the entire hotel is a real land commissioner. I don't know. Don't we think that Barry is, though? Barney? Barney. His name is Barney. Yeah, I think Barney's the only actual land commissioner. Jim was so angry that he ripped the windshield wiper off of Charles Corot's Winnebago. <laughs> now, this is a very specific 1990 reference. Such a deep cut. It's okay if you guys don't get it. For those of us who grew up around this time, Charles Kuralt mm -hmm. was a CBS newsman. He was the main host for Sunday Morning, if you are familiar mm -hmm. with that, which is uh, now hosted by the lovely Jane Pauley. He had a series called On the Road, uh, where he would once a year get into Winnebago. Mm -hmm. and travel across the country interviewing ordinary people who were quite extraordinary, was the idea. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know was that it lasted for 27 years, and it started in 1967. That's quite the tenure. Yeah, and it ended in 1994. Dang. Yeah, isn't that really interesting? So back to the episode. Let's do it. Murphy is upset that Miles isn't wearing the hat and coat that she bought him. And it's interesting because he does, he does run out without his jacket. So he was at some point mm -hmm. wearing the other coat. I think that's another thing to point out. And he goes, well, it was raining and he was worried that he would get it wet. So Murphy is going to walk him down Pennsylvania Avenue and she will follow him in a truck and take pictures that she will use as her Christmas cards. And Miles puts his arm around Murphy and they walk out sort of joking, you know, uh, why doesn't he just pay her a hundred bucks and call it a night? Ha 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 and uh, we're done with bad girls. The girls, they were actually better than they were bad. Beep, and we beep. appreciate them. Beep, beep. So you can follow us everywhere at the same tag. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at <gasps> Murphy Brown Pod. And we're at murphybrownpod.com. And we're at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. How easy is that? This is so easy, Jesse. So easy. We're here to make things convenient and efficient for you. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. I realize we never even reference when we kept saying beep beep. If no one realizes this episode is most likely named after Bad Girls Hope. The Great Donna Summer. One of my mm -hmm. first memories is watching Thank God It's Friday on HBO. Yes. Classic yes, yes, yes. disco movie for that brief time when disco was uh, popular. Which means that, like, by the time they had movies greenlit and filmed, like, it must it have was been, not like, legit two anymore. years of, of disco <laughs> movies. Then it was like, oh, yep. put it on cable for the young kids in oh, 1984.